Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist, and now a health coach based in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the queen of Arkansas media. I started this podcast in 2020 to help you live a better life. For this episode, we have Dr. Annette Bosworth, who's affectionately known as Dr. Boz, and she can help you reverse your medical problems with healthy keto living. She blew my mind with some science totally unfamiliar to me, and she's got an online course with the link in the show notes. You'll get to meet the delightful Dr. Boz right after this. It's Lisa Fisher, and I am proud to talk about my relationship with the folks who own and manage the properties out in Scott, Arkansas, known as Marlsgate. It's really now a collection of properties because it's not just the home. A lot of people in Arkansas, really all over the country, know about the home that was built in the 1880s over a thousand acres of this property including pecan orchards there a couple of lakes down there a magnificent home greek revival home unlike anything i've ever been to but it's also what the talbots are doing in that community it's scott arkansas It's about 15 minutes from downtown Little Rock. There's North Little Rock. You know, you can get there so easily. You escape the hustle and bustle of the city and you go to where times are simpler and people are nicer and the traffic is less. You see what I'm saying? So in Scott, Arkansas, down 165, they've got the farmer's market, heirloom foods, culinary arts, lodging by land and water, social academy, curated shopping, celebrations of all kinds. That's on their website. That's why I've partnered with them. I'm proud to represent the Talbot family in everything they do because they're some of the finest people I've ever known. And their integrity and devotion to the community is impressive. And in 2017, they were just the third owners of this property. The Dorch family, obviously, a lot of people know the original owners, then David Gardner, and now Martha Ellen and Bo. Check it out by going to their website. It could be your perfect venue, your perfect location for something in 2024, marlsgate.com. I love show and tell. I was that kid that that's what I look forward to in school. And that's what I really like about social media. And I want you to check mine out, my Instagram, at Lisa Fisher said, and you can see show and tell of what they do at Akles Carpet One. I've been talking about Akles Carpet One for a long time. I've been a customer and they've been in central Arkansas a long time. The Akel name is one that is synonymous with great value because at Akles Carpet One, they will beat the big box store prices. And then when Darren Clanton, my producer, had a new control construction. He used Akel's Carpet One for his flooring, for backsplashes in bathrooms and kitchens around the fireplace. And you know, now they have cabinets and things like that. So kind of anything in your home that you need, Akel's Carpet One can take care of you. And it is the customer service that is people coming back. They're installers. You can't just hire these installers for a project if you get your stuff from the big box store. They are installers for Akel's Carpet One. Check. That's very important. Of course, beating the big box store prices, that obviously is a huge draw for people. And the fact that Erica or Courtney or whoever you're working with at Akel's Carpet One, they service you after the sale. They want to make sure that you are satisfied as a customer because your home is your castle. Have your castle get remodeled and use the products from AkelsCarpetOne.com. She won most talkative in high school, and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. Okay, a lot has changed in medicine, Dr. Boz, I bet, since you've been practicing. And I think one perspective is the whole weight loss. Probably when you went through medical school, it was still thermodynamics. It was still math, calories in, calories out, right? I think that's still pretty close to what they're teaching. Well, we're not listening to them. I mean, how can they still be teaching that when we know insulin is the smoking gun of our health? Right. Yeah. Well, uh, the results will speak for eventually. (laughs) There will be a clear answer that what we're saying isn't giving the results that patients are asking for. And although there is very good animal science about uh, calories in, calories out, 
most of those animals had never seen high insulin for the decades that we've yeah. had patients see high insulin. So before we can ever talk calories, we we have to talk about hormones. The yeah. hormone I'm talking about is insulin. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what is your medical specialty? Internal medicine. Um, okay. So you diagnose. I, yeah, we yeah. we are supposed to be the. Uh, well, internal medicine does not have a very good marketing team. People say, "What does that mean?" You take care of the insides of people. Well, <laughs> yeah, they sh- they really do need to change the label. Right. I said, you know, here's when I was trying to pick uh, what type of specialty you go into. Uh, I wish someone would have said, the first day of medical school, you should have all of the students take a personality profile. Yeah. Because you can see who's going to be the surgeon, who's going to be the internist, who's going to, and who's going to be happy in those places. That's well, interesting. I am very well placed in internal medicine. Uh, I don't like uh, a superficial understanding of things. I really like the deep dive. And as I was really struggling, I grew up on a farm. People ask me why I went to medical school. I said, I hated hog chores. <laughs> I agree. I, I did yeah. too, but I didn't go to medical school. <laughs> In a town of 800 people, I knew that there was a very low chance that I was going to get out of that little town yeah. without an education. So I wanted to make sure that I got out and I stayed out. Now I do practically anything to go back to that little town, but this was my perspective at the age of 17. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew that if I, um, if I got a medical degree, most people liked it. At least this was the survey done in the early 90s. Yeah, times have changed. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And now uh, when I got to that decision, which was probably, you know, 94, 96, 1996, well, now you need to select what kind of doctor you want to be. And I literally had known two doctors at this point before medical school. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of them as a, what we would call a country doctor, Dr. Yeah. Dr. Tom Dean. He's got like accolades for being a rural wow. doctor. And I love it. Just brilliant. Him and his wife, his wife was a midwife and they ran wow. the town hospital wow. of Washington Springs. He brought, he brought his, his knapsack and he went house to house and he delivered babies and he probably... He loved tied tubes. Movie. I mean, he probably yeah. did everything. Did oh yeah, I, wow. I shadowed him for a summer and a, a few other rural doctors. That they really their skill sets were incredible. They they really did serve the population and they were an intimate part of their community. So when I got to the stage of I have one example that I wanted to be like this guy that had a heroic uh, but kind of cowboy <laughs> approach yes, to for how sure. do you solve it all. I I had an honest conversation that I wanted to be able to answer the questions that my parents were asking me and not just in a superficial way. I wanted the deeper answers. And I was noticing that as I was polling different people in my sphere of influence as a second or third year medical student, the internists seemed to have the best answers. So my favorite marketing for internal medicine is if the internist doesn't know what's wrong, you're going to die. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because, I mean, I, I'm our best friend is an internist, so I, I was able to understand the diagnostician part. You know, that's what he would say early in our 35-year friendship. He was a diagnostician, and he's the best diagnostician. And, he, and they're detectives. You take all the facts of the case, and it's your job to say, wait a minute, I think I see something over here. You've got a wonky gallbladder or your big toe has arthritis. I don't know, you know, whatever it is. But what people don't understand is now times have changed too. You don't really treat the patient as much as then you send him to a specialist. Is that correct? Well, I, I exited corporate medicine in 2009 or 10. And that's where I said, I, I, I'll take care of them as long as they need me. Um, So what, what has happened as, as my career has evolved is peak brain performance would be the the subtext. If I'm an internal medicine doctor and I take care of thyroid and obesity and diabetes and cancer and, you know, the list goes on um, for adults. Um, but when I look at what really attracted people to my private clinic um, was peak brain performance. When their brain wasn't working right, okay. they would come to me for the puzzle of how do I get it back to work? And right. what's wrong? Mm-hmm. So in that questions. case, uh, there are specialists that you send folks out to, but I, f- I personally don't like that. I, I found that 
if we were doing our job, and as much as this is a hated term for many physicians, an electronic medical record is a way to keep things organized enough that 80% of the data I could get in the right spot so that I could have the energy to make that 20% of the decisions uh, for, yeah, checklist manifesto isn't the enemy. Mm -hmm. It is part of how do you process so much information in today's world. And I think that leads to how do we get to a place where the 80, the, 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 you know, the AI, I mean, yeah, it is chat GPT type in your symptoms and see what chat GPT says to do. They've probably, I mean, that answer is a lot better than what happens at most primary care physicians today. It's sad, but true. Yeah. Well, Dr. Tom would have never had those problems. He, he probably didn't even have a manual. He just thought, let me think the time that horse was hurting, we did so-and-so. Now, did you, were you raised, is that Nebraska I hear or the Midwest? Oh yeah. South Dakota. Okay. South Dakota. Okay. Uh, What a great state. What a, what a great governor. What a great state. What great freedom they have. So yeah. 800,000 people in the whole state. And isn't that that wonderful? I I love it. Mm -hmm. I do. I love it. Uh, The older I get, the more I appreciate that pace of life. Plus, you know, I've seen, uh, I'm in Little Rock, Arkansas now, but I was born in Newark, New Jersey, lived in New Orleans. And then I've been in Arkansas, you know, for, Mm. since I was a preteen. I was Um, in your city just three weeks ago. What were you doing here? Because I'm the Oprah of Arkansas. I would have had you for dinner. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I would have totally come. I was in your, uh, what's the county that Little Rock's in? Pulaski County. Yeah. I was in Pulaski County Community Corrections. No way. Yeah. No way. Yeah. I am just sick about it because really, I, I, I open my home to people all the time. Well, I would honestly, have you. they have quite a brain problem, uh, and like yeah. like many of my patients, I had a I have a, you know lots of lots of need for peak brain performance. But when I saw the patients are missing, there's a bunch of patients missing. It started about 15, 10 years ago. Got a lot worse five years ago. But I've found them. They're in the correctional facilities. Is that right? Yeah, with addiction and mental health issues, and they're using the ivory tower of corrections to try and help them, but they're, they're doing a worse job than medicine's doing and that. <laughs> that's mm. hard to do. So I, yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying to help them, but it's. That's a whole nother story too, of mm-hmm. who's in correctional facilities. Cause I have a heart for uh, re- kids reading aptitude, a lot of dyslexics end up dropping mm-hmm. out of school because they can't fit in because they didn't learn how to read. And Amen. They mm-hmm. turn to a life of crime. So I definitely am affected by all that. And um, hate I have that so we... much data behind it. What, what you just said, it's actually one of the things that I was there I for saying, if you're not screening your inmates for literacy, stay home, stay I know. home. I know. I, I mean, I, I, I've been a part of a group that um, has promoted literacy and helping with the dyslexia issues and the population of inmates and recidivism. I think I said that right. Mm-hmm, People yeah. who repeat their yeah. crimes um, mm-hmm. often have similar situations. Well, let's talk about peak brain performance because since I say insulin is a smoking gun of all this, it would have to be high insulin also contributes to brain fog. Amen, what what yeah. have you found out? Yeah, you know, when I look for the puzzles of how do you help somebody in front of you, um, you know, originally I would have divided the the trauma or the brain development into right. a genetic p- process, okay, uh-huh. um, a, f- a, a maternal fetal uh, process, yeah, and then a as they are um, maturing a substance process and yes. a, a physical trauma, even emotional yes. trauma, right. Uh, but rarely did I have on the the option list a metabolic trauma. Wow! So when you look at ever looked at spec scans where you can, yeah. Doctor Amon's known for yeah, them. Sure. Like, okay. Right. Yeah. So when you look at the uh, brain that's been using alcohol for many years, and you see right. this, wow, oh, it's just riddled with holes. Right. Uh, and then you say, and well, now look at what happens with marijuana. Again, right. marijuana, THC, a fat soluble uh, right. molecule that hangs out in your brain. Guess what? Right. He hates here? all the substances. And I love it that he can say it because we seem like the bad guys. If we say it, he's saying from a scientific perspective. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, I love exactly. It. 
and you've got really good evidence. This is not a hard one to prove. Watch, watch look at the data. The data is not hard. It's that the advertising doesn't anywhere match. That's right. What the data is talking that's about. right. Well, it's but like big pharma, big food. I mean, it's big alcohol, big weed. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. So now, now you know, walking through. Oh, here's what happens when a baseball hits their head, and you're like, yeah, yeah big hole. Okay, concussions. Yeah. We see that. He's got lots of data on that. Uh, we, not just him. The the world of neuroscience has been yeah. exploding since I hit, uh, res, you know, medical school, but residency for sure. And then you watch, um, you know, some of the developmental things, how that changes, how that really results in a blunted brain maturity. You can't get to maturity when those are when those are stopped in mm. the progress of growing mm. up. That mm-hmm. has a lot to do with how well your mother taught you how to sleep. That has a lot to do with mm-hmm. how well you ate. But I hadn't the ability to measure it to really say, how do I fit that into my my treatment plan for somebody saying, you know, Dr. Boz, the other four uh, generations that I can touch with my family tree all got Parkinson's. I don't want to get that. How do I prevent that? And you look at the literature out there and the number one thing it's linked to is, well, if their insulin's high, how many years was it high? And that is the deteriorating metabolism issue inside a brain. The first part of that is some symptoms of, well, that are just general. They're, they're wonky. It could be that you're grieving. It could be that you're depressed. Yeah. It could yeah. be that you are, you know, changing time zones or, yeah. or that your sleep got interrupted. You're snoring. Mm-hmm. Cause they're all going to start with symptoms that are so vague. Like, Oh, I have brain fog. I mm-hmm. can't seem to concentrate. My my energy level's low. Okay, that's about a hundred things. <laughs> Good luck with that, Chat GPT. I mean, the list is just going to yeah, be really long. Right. Yeah. So to get down to saying, well, what really is going on? Uh, is it physical trauma? Is it chemical trauma? Okay, we got those. No, it's not those. There's a metabolic trauma. And when you look at spec scans of someone whose blood sugar has been diabetic, let's just say, take the highest All levels. Right. Now you have the same looking brain that was there for a chronic alcoholic or a boxer. It is riddled with parts that do not conduct the messages on a spec scan. Now, at autopsy, the tissue is still there. The tissue still doesn't even look that bad. But its ability to communicate messages from one part of the brain to the other is swollen. It's not healthy. It's not doing that. You get their blood sugars under control. You get that insulin down, not just in a little way, in a way that reverses inflammation, which is measurable. That is, you have to be measuring to get this. You want outcomes, you got to measure. Mm-hmm. That ketogenic state where you're touching ketosis mm-hmm. several times a week, not because you swallowed a bunch of ketones, although there's a place for that. I'm saying your metabolism was stressed enough that it responded and you now reverse that inflammatory state. And that's where we start to say, oh, I can fix this problem a lot faster, even if the cause was a baseball or marijuana or whatever cause of wow. their brain trauma, if you got high insulin. But doc, my blood sugar is only 95. I'm fine. I'm like, right. how much insulin is it taking to keep it at 95? Because if you want me to reverse this, I don't, I know it's a good business plan for you to be my patient for the next 30 years, but that's not my goal. Yeah, you don't want them to be. You you, you want them to move on and have autonomy and, and be in good health and not not need medicine or physicians. I mean, I think that, of course, you won't get rich doing that, but there are enough sick people that you're going to get rich doing this. You know, I mean, if, if they listen. Well, okay, let's, let's just talk about a couple of things. So... Um, Getting into the ketogenic state. Now, those of us in the intermittent fasting community, I've been there seven years. You know, I haven't eaten yet today, obviously. So my my baseline is at least an 18 or 19 hour fast. Aren't I reaching ketosis every day despite what I've eaten the night before or exogenous ketones? Um, that's not a guarantee. Okay. okay let's, let's that's kind of what you. we say. But so it may be, I may be, I may have received and spouted wrong information. So here's the here's the beauty of today's world. Okay. Prove it. 
just test it. Yeah, right. Test it. Right? Right. Okay, so first thing in the morning is what your metabolism is at baseline. And I don't mean like after you've walked the dog and made a cup of coffee. I mean T-O-T, test on the toilet. Okay. When you wake up in the morning, what is your morning fasting glucose and your morning fasting ketones? That really sets a barometer for me to say, where are they at metabolically? I mean, I can profile you. So let's let's just do this. How old are you? So that's safe to say. Me, I'm 100. I'm 60. Yeah. Okay. I look good for 100. I'm 60. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank so at you. 60 years old, how many years in your life do you think you've been overweight? Uh, yes, I was overweight during that beautiful year when you're about 39 or 40 and your thyroid goes in the crapper and your testosterone starts. I was probably had some PCOS because I was having cystic acne. My weight all of a sudden, and it was 15 pounds. I know there are people with a lot greater more weight gain than that. But for me, it was, it was a lot because I couldn't fit into my clothes. So I would say I was overweight for about 15 years and I hid it well with black clothes, which I'm wearing a black <laughs> shirt now, but you know, jackets. But my point was I was uncomfortable and I was tired and I was puffy and I was eating five times a day. Cause as a thyroid patient, my diabetic educator who worked for my endocrinologist told me to eat five times a day. I did exact. Oh, I'm obedient. I did exactly what I was told. So let's say, hypothetically, 15 years, I weighed more than I wanted to, which I would say I was definitely insulin resistant. Okay. Did you have acne enough to be scarred by the acne in high school? No. mm -mm. No, I was skinny and normal and all that in high school. Yeah. Okay. So we've got you at least probably through the age of 25. When do you think the weight gain started? What age? Um, At about, really about 37 or eight, I just said, I've gained 15 pounds and and 39 people would kind of laugh and go, oh, you're almost 40. But every month for about 10 years, I would have cystic acne on my chin that my Bible study that that, that was from about um, 31 to about 39. My Bible study knew they would go, we're going to meet again in four weeks when Lisa has a pimple. Like it was a joke with us because I have nice skin. Mm-hmm. And I would have a pimple every month. And like nobody ever, they just kept giving me injections, steroid, because I was on TV for so long. So I couldn't have a pimple on TV. Okay. So they would do steroid injections, which then it scars you. And then when you have vitiligo, then I ended up developing vitiligo around each little injection little because That's of real. trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So totally, those are absolutely indications written on the bottle that says you should have the patient sign off that this is going to happen. It's not a what if, it's how much. Yeah. No one said a word. (laughs) So here's what I was doing with that math equation is to say the insulin was for sure high at 31. What do you have? You you have children? Yeah, I have three kids. How old were you at the first pregnancy? Um, 29. Okay. So that is an insulin resistant stage. Mm -hmm. It sounds like after baby number one, that insulin stayed high. And she was almost 10 pounds. So they did look at gestational diabetes. I didn't have it. I mean, or that stupid orange drink said I didn't have it. But now Mm -hmm. I want, because all of mine were 10 and nine, nine, you know, and big heads, you know, big babies. (laughs) Good brains, but. (laughs) That's right. And I did the Bradley method. I had a 40 pound. I mean, I wanted a 40 pound weight gain because I because I'm a weirdo and, you know, I wanted big babies. So but I didn't, I had vaginal birth. I had unmedicated vaginal births because I'm wow, wow. Yeah. So wow. the, the superwoman is, is, is real yeah. in reality. That's, as it, that's right. <laughs> yes. I thought, I mean, I, I wanted to do the best for my babies and, you know, yeah. I breastfed till they were way too old. <laughs> well, the insulin resistance for sure was 29 for that year. Wow. If that pimple was still happening, it is an absolute sign that there is excessive insulin around. Oh, that makes that, me so mad. Right. Because the other part is that chronic elevated insulin is a, it's a killer to a thyroid. It doesn't take a year. It takes a good <sighs> seven to 10 years for it to really suppress that thyroid's ability to overcome. 39. That. I was 39. I was saying I, there is something wrong. My vitiligo was, it sparked. And Mm -hmm. then they said, do you have Hashimoto's or type one? And I, you know, the test kept saying I didn't until we looked at antibodies and they were off the page. But that took four years to get diagnosed from the point at 39. I was saying something is wrong. Yeah. And they'd go, you're depressed. And I'd go, "Mm, I'm really not depressed. I'm just tired. 
Right, right. Well, and the other part of that is if women knew that, yep, your thyroid is going to do something that ain't fun and is really rough on your hips, uh, if after 10 years of robbing the, the Peter to pay Paul, yeah. you've got you've got to find a way that the body shuts yeah. down, that that insulin goes down, that your sleep at night needs to be good. And oh, by the way, those French women have it right that you should be eating high fat, low carbs. Yeah, right. But we uh, we didn't know. I mean, right. Th- they told the, us to eat five times a day and well, we're eating carbs. Don't your thyroid. Oh, good right. Lord. That. So isn't that interesting? The high insulin puts the damages, the our beloved butterfly-shaped thyroid gland that I love so much. That is, mm-hmm. it's what, it actually is what gave me the impetus to love this type of healthcare mm. is that you can do something about it. You know, because, you know, 20 years ago, they told me to take Synthroid, which, <laughs> that was a joke. But- <laughs> I had to advocate for myself. So it taught me by having a broken thyroid and high insulin probably for 10 years now, it taught me how to advocate for myself. Well, and the beauty of that is when you when you do restore the right level of inflammation, meaning cytokines are normal, they're supposed yeah. to be there, yeah. they ain't supposed to be there all the time. They're supposed to burst and valley, just like any type of stress and hormone response. But when you're constantly pummeling that the cells... Uh, even the thyroid cell, but even cells, they they can't hear thyroid the way they're supposed to. So it becomes this overall cellular fatigue, which sounds wonky. Like, oh, it's like every doctor will roll their eyes at chronic Lyme disease or chronic fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue syndrome. You're like, okay, but there is a cellular component where the cell is not responding to the messages. And one of those messages is that the thyroid's trying it's really trying to get that message right. out there. It's lower. And now the cell is diseased as well. And so well, how do you fix all of that? And it really does come from a shift of you must lower the insulin. You cannot fix a dang thing until you wow. lower the insulin. And you know, when it comes to saying the calories in calories out matter, well, you can't even get to, that's like chapter 14. We're at chapter one, which says the dictator of all of these cells when it comes to energy uh, metabolism or energy use is insulin. And when you have a high blood sugar and zero ketones first thing in the morning, you're not going anywhere fast. So when people say, I've had success, I've gotten this low carb, or I've done keto, or I intermittent cycle, do I need to be in ketosis? My first question is, what's your long-term goals? And if brain function in your elder years is a long-term goal, you're going to want to have ketones in the mornings a few days a week. Uh, Not a few days a year, a few days a week. If you look at that, uh, anybody into this space uh, saying, drop your carbs, they feel great, weight falls off, they're in ketosis. That's what that is. But everything is that just like it was a relative rise over those 10 years that your insulin went up, that insulin reduction is a relative rise. You may have this, you know, tsunami of ketones, this wave of ketones when they Mm -hmm. lower carbs to a certain level. Mm-hmm. But your body adjusts. The insulin goes down. That's how the ketones got there. And then you settle into, oh, this is the new normal. And your cells then replicate a couple of times because they remember what your last 90 days of eating has been. Okay. So if you're doing a stable, steady job, it's going to replicate with a lower need for insulin. Okay, insulin resistance is a little bit better. Okay. And then you're going to flatline because there's no stress. You're at this level you're at. If you want to say, gee, we know that if your brain is going to work into your 90s, if you're going to make it into those yeah. elder years, and you're not going to be at home or in an institution, right. uh, then you cannot have any uric acid in your brain. Like, oh, okay, well, I don't have gout, so I'm fine, right? No, not so quick. Uric acid is a product of fructose. So fructose is, do you think... Happy thoughts or negative thoughts when you hear the word fructose? <laughs> I think it makes me happy. So yeah, right? uh, sugar makes me happy. <laughs> right. And fruit is the, it's got the, be- for the internal medicine team to have the negative marketing team, fruit I, I got know. the best marketing team. I know. They are pretty colors and lovely and right. we've bioengineered them to be super high. That's but right. honestly, fruit. I have a chapter in my books called Fruit is Evil because it's tempting you in the wrong direction. And from the first, you know, temptation of mankind, fruit has has a temptation that gets us in the wrong direction. Right. That's right. Biblically from day one. 
But high fructose corn syrup is where most of us get that. Uh, so the, yeah, so there's been a generation where we all know yeah. to look for that on the label. Sure. And we don't, I don't drink any of that. But if you take table sugar yeah, and you, it's, it's a, it's a disaccharide, it's two sugars put together. Right. One's glucose, one's fructose. Okay. So we get fructose. What I'm trying to say, fructose is in our life. It's in our, in our place. And when you metabolize fructose in the setting of high insulin, you make uric acid. If the oh. uric acid. I see. Now I know, yeah. is it Lustig? Who has the book? There are two names that are similar. The uh, Drop Acid book, Perlmutter. Yeah, is that Perlmutter? Perlmutter. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I, I've, I've listed us some of that. And because we do get introduced to uric acid only through the gout perspective of the the wealthy had gout because they ate mm -hmm. beef and ribs or I, I don't know, duck exactly. fat, whatever, yeah. What, yeah, whatever it was. But mm -hmm. you're saying then that we're all pushing out this uric acid when insulin levels are high. Yes. Without knowing mm -hmm. it. Glucose, okay. Yeah. So when you prick your finger and I say, well, what's your glucose? And you're like, yes. it's 95, doc. I'm fine. Right. I'm like, okay. And for, for the most of us, we stop looking. So you, you really never, you, you roll your eyes at a glucose reading anyway, right? You're, you're well, looking well, one, deeper. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, especially if, if you do it, if you test on the toilet first thing in the morning, I can usually, and then you give me one more piece of data. You tell me what your ketones are first thing in the morning. That, that's, I get, I learn a lot. We get a lot further ahead when I know those two data points of which you can test in your own toilet, not my toilet, go to your own toilet. Right, I mean, that's right. the home test, right? And then don't just do it once. Give me a few plots. Maybe you didn't sleep good that night. Maybe you had a nightmare. Maybe you didn't, you had alcohol the night before. Yeah. Show me what your numbers are more than once, right? Okay. All right. So there's that. But what Perlmutter and what uh, Rick Johnson, who's another, yes. uh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. His, his literature is very cutting edge. And you get a lot of people, you do a Google search for try to explain uric acid. And I mean, I really think Perlmutter and Johnson are the only two really speaking the language that says, here's what I see in practice. It's not is, that- Is Johnson, Nature Wants You to Be Fat? Mm -hmm, yeah. Okay. That's another great book. Yeah. And, and when you listen to the title, you think, now what? God yeah. does not want us to be fat. But when he, when he breaks it down, it's very, yeah. it's very scientific and very interesting. Mm -hmm, right. Let me put and that in the show notes. And I'll put your books in the show notes too, of course. Well, that process of saying, okay, so you're, if you ask me, I want to see how well is Lisa's brain going to do when she's 80? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's look at a few things. I would want to know her morning fasting glucose. I would want to know her morning fasting ketones. It'd be great if she gave me two weeks worth of data so I could see what is it, not just for a hot minute, but what is it in life? Okay. What's in the morning? What is it? If she had that on top of a continuous glucose monitor, I would be really kind of geeking out. But then I'd want at least two more points of data. I'd want um, an, an, a hemoglobin A1C, which is an average blood sugar for three months. Right. That leaves a lot of people on the cutting edge, but it usually rises into that 5.4, uh, 5.5. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not, oh, we're not diabetic. Six is diabetic. 6.5 is even terrible. Blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Okay, but if you're looking at healthy people, if you're looking at people with lower insulin, it's going to be closer to five. If a furry friend is on your Christmas wish list and Santa delivers, I have a website that can kind of help partner with you in raising your dog and educating family members about dogs. It's dogtalktv.com. My friend Pat Becker-Wallace is the author of many of the books at dogtalktv.com, but she is, a, it's NADOI, it's a National Association of Dog Obedience Trainers, I forget what the I is. And it's it's her livelihood. It, she's devoted her entire life to it. She had a PBS award-winning uh, program in Oklahoma City about dogs. She tries to educate people. She really tries to match the perfect person with the perfect temperament to the perfect dog. And that's, you know, one of her goals. The other goal is just to educate you, moms and dads, on how to raise the dogs. And so there's a new puppy uh, books that they have there. It's their new puppy training, uh, daily training checklist. She's kind of a dog whisperer, but also that she's written these books to educate your family about animals. And I know that 
of the books. My granddaughters love um, the books about Bandit, but she's got new ones about a carriage for Cowboy, and it is about a horse. She is a long-time horse enthusiast. So check them out. And when you buy books from there, guess what, people? You're celebrating and supporting the local rescues in central Arkansas. Very important. They need money year round. You can help. DogTalkTV.com. I've been telling you all about David's Burgers in Little Rock for a long time. The Bubba's family is known for its outstanding product. They've been in business with this business for over 10 years. They had a a burger place in Russellville, Arkansas, and that's where they kind of sharpened their skills. And they came to Central Arkansas. And as you know, if you are in Central Arkansas, they win all the awards. They win the awards for Best Burger If they're not number one, they're in the top three on every list. They are fast casual. They have the type of employees that greet you when you walk in. Welcome to David's. Out at the drive-thru, they're very efficient. They've got two lines. I mean, it really is what the standard that businesses should aim for. It's what they do. The Bubba's family does at David's Burgers. But here's something that I kind of forget to tell you all about, and it's their catering. And this is a great month to have them come cater. Maybe your office Christmas party. People adore a burger bar. I adore a burger bar. And there are french fries. Hello. And there's ice cream. We took um, our daughter-in-law there just recently, and she she loves sweets. She goes, wait, you get ice cream for free because they'll bring a little cups by. And I said, you can buy a cone if you want. But they make it very easy to think, yes, I love that. Check them out online. If you haven't been, you need to go new location that they they reopened a store. They uh, crossed the street there, Bowman Road, and reopened this beautiful building that is, well, it has delicious burgers. And they also sell the meats in the frozen section. So some of the meats you can buy. Check them out online, davidsburgers.com. Oh, okay. But give me one more data just to make sure I don't miss because if she gets dementia... I don't have the time to undo it. I need to prevent it. Okay, so now show me what's her uric acid. Wow. So ask we we need to then look at that number from our provider. Mm. And what here's the best. So four, there's two great meters out there. I both I love both of them. Keto Mojo is my favorite for they are so supportive of the space. They have innovators, they are the top of the line. Um, I all of my programs are run by a dashboard that you can have access to because of what Keto Mojo has done. You can create a support group where everybody in your support group checks their morning fasting sugar and their morning fasting ketones, and everybody can see everybody else's. All right, good. That's super cool. For free. That's when peer pressure is a good thing. Positive peer pressure. Positive peer pressure, right. So, uh, So I love them. And although they have this coming out in their development, it's not on the market yet. Um, Foracare has a uric acid strip. Prick your finger oh. and check your own uric acid. So when I do Keto Mojo, am I, am I, how am I measuring my key, my uric acid then at that point? Well, you'd have to get the other meter is what I'm saying. Okay. The other meter has that, but Keto Mojo does the ketones and the glucose. And- and your glucose, because we can't measure fasting insulin at home in any way, can we? And I would tell you, so what? Insulin is this thing where if I hooked you up to an insulin meter and I checked it for the next three weeks, we have lots of studies of people with constant insulin sensors for for research, not in the not in the live, but in research. Okay, all right. And, and it does this. It goes up and down and up and down. It's so volatile that if on my way to the clinic, you farted, your insulin's going to be different. On your way to the <laughs> clinic... That's embarrassing. I mean, I don't know why she looked at me when she said it. No, I got it. I got it. Okay. So it's that variable is what you're saying. Right. And that's sensitive. Right. So much better to look at the two molecules that insulin controls, which is glucose and ketones. Okay. So those Um, two molecules are a reflection of insulin. So in my world, we, you know, we take glucose and ketones at the same time and we put them in a fraction uh, the glucose goes on top, the ketones goes on the bottom. Okay. And um, we do we do dirty math. The, the metrics don't measure, but we do the Dr. Boz ratio by saying glucose over ketones. And the lower the number, the lower your insulin. And so that so, is what- Okay. But let's say, hypothetically, you had a flat, low fasting insulin, 
but how do you know? Well, just by my lab work, you know, 2.2 and no, well, I, I do it. Okay. I mean, I do it quarterly cause I'm a thyroid patient and oh. I'm a bioidentical hormone patient. So I do kind of keep an eye on that and my antibodies, my thyroid antibodies, I try to uh, try to bring down, but it's, as you know, it's challenging. Um, so I do keep a low fasting insulin. Cause again, I do, I'll do a three day fast. You know, I do a five day fast last year. Didn't love it. You know, three day fast is more manageable, but sometimes I do notice maybe my blood glucose in the morning when I test it is still a hundred or my A1C is 5.1. Is that am I, of those numbers, does the fasting insulin trump everybody else? Or so it depends on your uric acid. So here's the, okay. here's the side note. So right. this is what Rick Johnson and Perlmutter both talk about. Rick Johnson, especially his research has looked at when you have, there is an intracellular process where you turn glucose into fructose. It is. Wait, per- is that gluconeogenesis? No. Oh. This is an inflammatory reaction that causes oh. a reactive oxygen species. It causes inflammation. Now it's survival technique, you know, 10,000 generations ago, but in our bodies, when especially happening in the liver, you'll see that uh, glucose, uh, gets a little bit high. It's not so high that you're, you're going to have big trigger, but it's high enough that some of your cells are siphoning that glucose into fructose. Into fructose. Mm -hmm. Now I checked your glucose and it doesn't measure fructose that only checks glucose. Right. But that fructose is a is the you know one step away from uric acid. The two places that we see this in advanced pathology, meaning deposits of uric acid, are those little crusty things in your brain that turn into Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, calproteins. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the high state of uric acid in the brain very predictive of you don't want to wait for me to have you missing. How the heck do I drive my car home? We are way down the road there. So what's the foreshadow? Oh, get your uric acid. Don't check it once. Check it at home. I mean, I think the strips cost like eight bucks. So they are kind of expensive. And I tell people, uric acid is always on the move. So you should remember the rules of uric acid. But four or five checks of uric acid, if they're all north of five, I mean, we don't diagnose uh, um, uh, gout until it's north of seven. So no, so that that's where pathology starts, and some people it's ten, it's twelve. Who who has a uric acid of ten or twelve? Oh, those who've had high insulin for a decade, and we've established that your your insulin started high at the age of Mm twenty nine. Okay, so now we've got this history, and you've done a great job. You got it Mm -hmm. down. Your your brain's doing what it's supposed to. It feels Mm -hmm. good. Yeah, but I want to make sure you empty out that uric acid before any dementia. Same girl, same. Like I'm going to hang up from this conversation. I got to end this podcast so I can go get uric acid strips. So is, is it uric acid from urine though? Am I going to, are that, am I going to TT on them? Okay. <laughs> no, it's blood. So but oh, that's it is blood? because yeah, the basis oh. of uric acid is urine, pure. Yeah. Urine okay. is purines. Purines are the part where you've got that you know, spiral DNA mm-hmm. and you've got all these four parts that guanine. I'm nodding my head. Like I know what you're talking about, but you lost me there. <laughs> But you know, the, the pretty helix that has your DNA. Sort of. Okay. I'm a journalism major girl. I can spell it, but I, I really, I went through those classes because they made me. Oh, that's awesome. Well, that that crossbar uh, in, in our DNA is a breakdown of a purine. Purines are what makes this uric acid. And your body is supposed to get rid of it. You'll hear people saying, oh, you're going to raise your uric acid if you eat meat. And I'm like... Um, not as much as a high insulin state does. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, right. And where's that high, that pure, where are those waste products from our cells going? Oh, you're storing them in any, uh, you know, shadowy cobweb filled corner of your body. Every cell that's kind of not being active, just store some, store some crap over there, store some proteins over there, put some uric acid here. Mm-hmm. We, we don't have a way to get rid of all of it. Let's, uh, let's just store it. And when she stops eating, when the insulin goes down, we'll empty it. But when that's been going on for 30 years, mm-hmm. now intermittent fasting does allow the empty. It, insulin goes down. Because of autophagy, allows, I guess. Yeah, that's exactly I mean, right. Yeah. Emptying well, out. Okay. So Bigman says, 
um, and I've said this so many times on my podcast, people should be mouthing the words with me, but that um, fasting insulin has a 15 to year, 15 to 20 year predictability. He says 10 to 15 to 20 year predictability mm-hmm. on your health that had you checked it, he says at least 10 because maybe 15 or 20 years ago, maybe he just said that in one interview, but I've never forgotten it. He said that would tell us as much uh, that would explain because, you know, if we're looking at root cause, right, right, we're looking at that. So do you feel like uric acid is just as important and predictive in a 10, 15, 20 year span? So that is a great question. So here's what I can, here's what I'm putting together. Cause I've listened to a ton of Vickman too. He's great. Yeah. And he's the kind of nerd that is my favorite. Oh, he's nerd. just darling. I mean, we just love him. He doesn't have any hair in his head. He's got freckles on his face. And we just sit there and listen to him like we're looking at the statue of David. Just it's we're great. so glad everything he says because he's so relatable and he's such a great teacher. That's he's a his great gift. Yes. He's a great teacher. But that elevated insulin is what I was backing up from from your how many years? Yes. When do I yeah. know her insulin was out? Oh, she got pregnant. Okay, yeah. so that's now I'll start measuring forward. Wow. Okay, so that so that cellular death. Okay, that he's right about that. What what I what I always worry about is people that are asking me about their insulin. Well, they've been eating well. <laughs> they've been trying to get it together. Usually, yeah. they've been trying. So they say, okay, I've got a good insulin. So now I'm protected for the next ten years. Like, be careful of that. Insulin is volatile, so you can make it look good for your labs. And when people are in a healthy season, they'll come in and say doc, let me show you what I'm doing. And they'll look great. But doing this reverse history lesson of, well, we can be yes. certain her insulin was high, she carried that baby. Okay, fine. Uh, she had that pimple thing. Oh yeah. And then her thyroid went, oh, that timeline matches. Okay. So oh, now- Totally. Yes. If I would have said, well, good thing about uric acid is it's slow to rise. Crappy okay. thing about uric acid is it's slow to fall. Got it. Now it is also volatile when you're working on yourself. Like if I was going to fast for three days, um, okay, so let's take both of us. We're both what I would say keto adapted. You can yep. make, you, you go without yeah, food, your body finds so. yeah. to, mm-hmm. right? So in those folks, you would see a rise in the empty phase of their uric acid happening about 24 hours into their fast. And for that, uh, the rest of that fast, their body is r- taking uric acid and putting it out in the kidney, going into the urine. The okay. purine yeah, into the right. Urine, right. Okay. Oh, great. Good job. Now we're getting it out of storage because it's been in that you know little crevice forever. So when they break their fast, um, they're still. I mean, the blood didn't hear the signal that you just broke their fast the second you broke the fast, right? So it's going to be a couple of hours after breaking the fast before, however high the uric acid was, the kidneys have to empty it down. You're now not emptying it out from the corners of the body anymore but there's a wave of uric acid going down or going up. And then after you start eating again, it's going to get back to your baseline. All right. Yeah. So you have to wait to, when you're, when you're checking it on your own, I like checking it in the morning unless they're chronic fasters, like they don't eat till later in the day. Yeah. Um, I like to check it right after, you know, kind of an hour after you've eaten. Um, but for most people that I say, check it in the morning just so that it's stable. Can you, you check, check it, it a couple times a day? Oh yeah. yeah. What I tell people to do is when you get the strips, you'll get a box of 10 and don't do it during fast. All you're going to see is it's high. And that means uric acid's on the move. So you do your three day fast or whatever kind of fast you do, then wait a couple of days of whatever time you eat your meal. And once you've got the rhythm that's normal for your body, then check your uric acid. Okay. So a couple of things that I'm taking away from this. One is now it's explaining if if pregnancy is a high glucose state, this is the reason people say, I had a baby and I couldn't lose that weight afterwards. Amen. And they hate themselves. There's so much self-loathing because I'm a certified health coach. So I talk to these women and I just, oh, it breaks my heart. I hate it. I hate self-loathing. I mean, I, right. I, and and I always say, don't talk ugly. Like Annette, let's say, go Annette, don't say ugly things to Annette in the mirror. Because so many people are like, I'm just so disappointed in myself. I never, I couldn't believe I'm at this point. Well, now it makes sense. They had a baby and they got into that high insulin state and they had a hard time coming back down. And then the other thing that I'm seeing a connection that Dr. Bickman talks about, and my clients tell me all the time when I start them on an intermittent fasting lifestyle, they will say, and if you've done a long three or five day fast, your ability, 
you pee more than you've ever peed in your life and you empty your bowels. Like when I did a five day fast, y'all, I was on day three, four and five, still going to the bathroom going, where is it? I haven't put food in my mouth. And Dr. Bickman talks about how the kidneys, how uh, insulin's connection to the kidneys and how you, you do just empty everything. So uric acid then is affected, I would think, then by the eating and not eating, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you can't move it when insulin's high. It's in the store. I mean, think of insulin as a growth factor, a grower. It is, right. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. that process where you've had high insulin, you're putting uric acid in the body, not taking it out. And you, you do have to empty it out or you'll have, you will have a high uric acid level, right? It's a, in what one of Rick Johnson's theories, and I, I really have loved his work because it's made me rethink things. Uh, and again, I love this deeper understanding of it is like, yeah. oh, once their uric acid gets high, it's a signal. It's a signal saying store fat, store fat, store fat, store fat. So it's a- wow. It is, uh, it's doing something beyond just, oh gosh, put these purines over in the corner. Uh, it, much like okay. when ketones are in circulation, they are a signal. They're sending a message. Hey, we are out of food. We need you to make some more ketones. So ketones in circulation beget ketones. Your liver will make more. Okay. It winds your DNA differently. It does all kinds of little anti-inflammatory signals. This is a message. And then when they go back down, that message is muted or less. Uric acid has a similar thing. When it's um, when it's high, they gain weight and they gain more weight and they gain more weight and they gain more weight and the uric acid goes higher and higher. It's the the storage is going in. And you know the theory of Rick Johnson is well that's evolutionarily programmed. That's how we've survived in time. Nature about- wants us to be fat, right? Fat. Right, right, right. Wow, that this has totally changed my perspective then, because I've always been, uh, I'm such a proponent of low fasting insulin, like, uh, because I know I see it in my small clientele that I have of people who sit across from me who say, doc says I'm fine. You know, yet they weigh 250 pounds and they're, you know, five foot five. Right. And then we look at fasting insulin times, they'll come back and it's 42. And then Mm -hmm. Six weeks on fasting or eight weeks on fasting, one gal brought it to 19 and then she brought it to 10. Now she's not there yet, but she was moving in the right direction, but that's not the only barometer. We've got to look at the uric acid because they work in tandem. And again, so it doesn't go back. This is what everyone wants to know. What's my metabolism? Well, your metabolism metabolism is tied to then those two numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that they it's it is such a. A, a, a text of what's the what's the life been before the patient showed up? Yes. You know, when they say and they land yes. in front of me and say, Doc, am I going to live to see this number of age? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the question is, am I going to be functional at that age? And that is right. a brain predictor. That brain prediction is, I don't know, when's the last time you peed a ketone? Okay, so you pee them three times a week. I mean, you, you stress your body enough that you touch ketosis, you know, throughout the week. Um, because once you get to where we're at, where you've lost the weight and you say, well, I don't make ketones anymore cause I'm fine. Like, okay, but are you fine next year? <laughs> are you fine the year after that? It means, have you stressed your metabolism enough to be in shape, to be yes. able to recruit and use intermittent fasting is one of the ways to do that. Um, well then as you're doing your intermittent fasting, are you able, did your body adapt to that? Are you able to find routine stresses that, you know, you hit a metabolic stress? And that is the graceful aging secret formula, if you ask me. So but, is that part of metabolic adaptability or metabolic flexibility that yeah, we that, use yeah. the, mm-hmm. the body's, that's the body's adaptation moving in and out of fat burning and glucose burning. So yeah. that, that keeps us short. Then what's your opinion? Cause you, I didn't know if, if, if you weren't crazy about it, but and I, and I am seeing the research, Dr. Fung has talked about it, of course, that we're more insulin sensitive in the morning, that if you're really going to fast, skip dinner, eat breakfast Amen. and lunch. Is that what you're kind of thinking now? Well, there's, yeah, and there's great data on this. The people who come to see me are not healthy. They're not athletes that are building muscle. Uh, right. They are folks like us who've been overweight, and now their cells have a history. Their cells have a memory. Oh, yeah, Sure. You get to replicate the cells mm-hmm. that you've been bathed. You get to replicate this cell 
based on the chemistry you've been bathing it in for the last 90 days. Got it. So if you had no binging, <laughs> if you had nothing go wrong, well, then you're going to have better insulin. But most of us aren't that good. Yeah. <laughs> so you say, all right. So if you're trying to live within a parameter that insulin resistance or at least some sense of insulin resistance is going to haunt you because of those decades of high insulin, then there's some rules. You can pull on the lever of flex your metabolism by denying food for extended periods of time. You can immerse your body in heat. Okay, yep. a sauna will offload energy and you will see a great metabolic stretch of that. You can push the metabolism by using muscles to the point where they're a little sore the next day. I don't yep. mean going for a gentle walk. I mean, actually no. lifting. You have to tear the muscle enough to repair it. That's got a right. cytokine burst. That's a program stress. Right. When I look at the insulin levels of, you know, watching what numbers do throughout the 24 hour period, inevitably, if they've been insulin resistant, they do a pretty fair job of controlling blood sugars in the morning. Part of it's the cortisol rise. Part of it's how much yes. better our insulin sensitivity is after the 12 hours of you know, sleeping and not eating before you went to bed. So you've got this cell who's rested and it's doing what it's supposed to. And, but that would be the time to eat. When people say, oh, I, I'm an intermittent faster, but I only eat after sunset. I'm like, well, it'll work for a while and then it won't. Yeah. Wow. There, yeah. And Dr. Fung talks about circadian rhythms. And again, I mean, we all, whether or not your belief system, I mean, I'm a Christian, so I think creator Me God, too. put the sun in the, the, in the sky to wake us up and to put us to bed at night, you know, it's time and to eat and live. And Dr. Fung even says you need to have your, you need to have your meals done before the sun sets. Well, by the time this airs, we're going to be at that terrible time in most of the country where we have central, we're back to standard time. We're not daylight saving time. We're back to um, standard time, which means we'll all be sucking our thumb about 5.15, wanting someone to read Goodnight Moon to us so we can go to bed. And so, you know, most people don't get off work. They're going home to work. I mean, from work in the dark. And I'm Mm -hmm. trying to tell my clients, could you work in your meals before then? And people are like, no, I can't. Mm -hmm. So what do you tell, what do you tell people for that? So, uh, I'll tell you, I, here's, here's some of the things that I've learned. You're, you're going to see people present themselves at a season of life. And where I, I really am mindful about, you know, what gift has God given me? And am I using it in the right. place where it is helping the most people? Right. So translating the doctor speak into yeah. application that my parents can understand. That, that okay. so what, what do you All want right. me to do? So if, country doctor. Think of it as, how do Dr. you get Chong. to that level? Right. Mm-hmm. Right, Dr. Chong. Right. That um, a one-room schoolhouse is a fantastic teaching tool. It shows you where you're at. It also shows you where you've been, and it shows you where you're going to go. And when I look at the way medicine has evolved in the wrong direction, many ways, wrong direction, um, I think the biggest tragedy that we've had in medicine over the time where I've been part of it is the the fear of HIPAA. Oh, totally. Litigia society. I totally understand that. And part of on my side of it is they come in behind the exam room door and they many people misinterpret that the only person that they can tell their problems is their doctor. They can't talk about it outside the exam room. I'm like, no, I can't do that. You can do the shit out of that. That's your job. That's Mm -hmm. you're you are not gonna get better if you do this in isolation. And then you like bonk the doctors over the head by making us say the same thing over and over and over and over and over because the problem of insulin resistance is in every single one of the people I, you can see for the last 10 years. Absolutely. So how do I do this better? So um, in a stroke of frustration, <laughs> I moved my medical practice from South Dakota to Florida and paperwork is difficult, especially when the federal government's involved. I was waiting for paperwork and I said, okay, it's still not here. I can't do this until the paperwork comes through. Let's do what I've been thinking I should do, what I've, I had on my heart for probably a decade before I did it. And that is um, as a brains of addiction, I could follow my electronic medical record uh, and see who stayed sober for five years. And so I went back and looked at my records and said, wow, oh, was it the prescription that I wrote? Was it that I 
timed them to see the therapist after this, and then I fixed their sleep, and then I did that? Was it, you know, fill in the blank? Take a guess. What was the biggest predictor of whether or not somebody was sober at five years? Insulin resistance. <laughs> so close. It was, did they go to group? Were they oh, in a group of people with a other- community. Mm -hmm. Right. It was in the community saying, oh, I'm not the only one. Oh, you mean somebody else has screwed this up and then they figured it out? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm not the only family that used mm -hmm. booze to get, mm -hmm. you know, to dissociate mm -hmm. or carbs to dissociate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as I watch, you know, that was my, my brain clinic had lots of fun things in it. But one of the most impactful life-changing parts of that clinic was the addiction clinic. And as I would fill in for the therapist, there was a group every week. Uh, that's where the real medicine happened is in group. Um, so I had this image of here's all these addicts of carbs. <laughs> they come in and say, what's the right plan? And I'm like, doesn't matter what I say right now. You're never going to do it. <laughs> you can't do it. You've never seen it in your mind done that way. So I pulled the cord and said, all right, we're going to do an online course. It's going to be a 21 day course where I'm live every day for the weekdays. And you are then for the kind of big Coliseum. And then you're get, you are divided into small support groups. Your teacher is a lay person who's done well at keto. They're not a nutritionist. They're not a doctor. They're not a PA. They're right. not somebody with a bunch of letters. They yes. are your grandma who wants your health to be better. There's somebody who said, I want to do better at this. I've had success. You do not have to be a doctor to teach this. Right. But I do think you should see what does a doctor do if I'm trying to get the ultimate outcome for patients who are stuck in a cycle? Well, we go through all this other stuff like glucose and uric acid have a little, because uh, the first five days are spent just kind of orientating. And then there's cases. There's people who come in and say, but I've had this problem. And instead of it being HIPAA protected, this is under the, under the valence of I'm teaching and now everybody oh. can see inside the exam room and said, yeah. now here's what you should do. Just like what we did with you saying, oh, yeah. I had that baby at 27. And then I had, yeah. oh, and right. I had that pimple that went. Okay, so mm -hmm. somebody's going to do that listening to here. So they're part of your community. Mm -hmm. One of the, the best improvements that I've seen is that I do this class, this 21-day metabolic kick. And this is all on your website, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. Okay, because I will send it. I'll put all this in the show notes. This is fascinating. Well, and it's, it's a, it's the part of medicine where I said, you know what, I did this because you know how God's got the plan and then I have my plan. For sure. <laughs> I want to do it my way. I want to do what I'm comfortable with and what I've done for 20 years and uh, almost 23 years now. I don't want to mm -hmm. do a class. I, I, that's hard. <laughs> mm -hmm. But the class, the, the class was amazing because these little support groups in the one room schoolhouse, they stayed support groups. Now they've been doing it a year. They've lost 200 pounds. They're off of their prescription medications. And they didn't just do it right for a week. They're following numbers. They're using a dashboard of positive peer pressure, looking at morning fasting ketones, morning fasting glucose. And maybe they're not perfect every day, but they have a place to land for other people who said, all right, well, here's what she told us to do. Here's what you should probably do. And then whether they do it is, well, how well did their support help them do it? And it's free. You do you. After that course, I have That's no right. liability, but you've been taught. You cannot right. unlearn this. And when I see how do you improve people, I don't, I don't need you to be in my clinic. I have this personal goal of stopping as many prescriptions mm -hmm. as I've started, and I'm an internist. So there's a lot. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Not that you're pill pushers, but you sometimes no. sound like pill pushers. Oh, God, Lord. And that's what you're taught is that you <laughs> have a problem, I have a pill. You have a problem, that's I have a pill. Right. <laughs> yeah. And we're saying you have a problem. You probably have high uric acid and high fasting insulin. Yeah, right. And that's it. So I don't know if the question that you asked me, I answered. You, uh, you, uh, you gave me a PhD. In fact, I'm probably going to put letters at the end of my name now. <laughs> Lisa Fisher, <laughs> almost PhD because I sat with Dr. Boz. You're the cutest nerd I've ever met. You are oh, the you are the nerdiest nerd, and I love it. <laughs> I love the science that you broke down. You gave me information I've never been equipped with, and for anyone listening, you're going to hear a lot about uric acid from here on. <laughs> well, I, I just signed up for KetoCon next year, and I always try yeah. to bring something of you know, bring you know my version of like, what do you, what would I teach people that you should be following? Oh, I hope it's this. It's uric acid. We are the slides take us like five to six months to prepare. They are super. 
there you want to see a mad scientist uh, open up my slide deck it's terrible but it's it's hard to teach it but it this conversation probably did better than I've ever done so I'm like let's use that speech <laughs> yeah right this is yeah use it I mean you have mm -hmm. my permission very valuable everything you've given me today and all the information in the show notes and now I'm going to go back and finish Rick Johnson's book because <laughs> um, my ADD I started a book now I'm doing Gabriel Lyons book because I'm all about I'm all about working out now muscle. I'm right, right. I'm watching people with strong bodies and their brains are in good shape too. Do you want um, to know what I tell folks uh, to do? One of my goals, and I tell especially ladies, is uh, go to a CrossFit gym. And they're like, "Oh, that's not for I know, me." No, I know. No. Here's, what, here's what CrossFit does. You might be the worst one in the gym, but you're in the gym. And yeah. every CrossFit, I mean, I know there was a bad reputation for a while where you know, that's right. But that's not what is. They use positive peer pressure to do things I would never do on my own. You're right. And it's this little bitty tribe and they, uh, it's fantastic. You're right. I, my goal is to be doing CrossFit at 80 still. I mean, I am the worst one in the gym. I don't care. I still go. It I doesn't matter, do right? You're there. Right. You're there. Well, so, great yeah. job today. Thank you. Great interview. Well, I am I am happy to know you. I am sorry that I had uh, our paths haven't class, uh, uh, crossed, and that I was in your town, and you're the Oprah of Little Rock. I mean, I'm totally, to totally. <laughs> you're a doll. Thank you. Great job today. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, and I will. I'll be following you now that I'm. Good. I'm Thank you. More familiar with who you are. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review, won't you? The Lisa Fisher Said Podcast is produced by ClantonCreative.com.